The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing this morning? Yeah, um, just out of curiosity, how many people in here are Seattle Seahawks fans? All right, so I promise you I'll be shorter than last week. Deal? All right, let's, let's dig right in. I have a couple of announcements, but you can grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Titus, chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, stick a hand up nice and high, wave it in the air like you do not have a care, and one of these men will make sure that they get one to you. If you do not own a Bible, that is a gift to you, and we pray that God would just teach you more and more about His incredible goodness and love through it. A couple of announcements. Huddle groups meeting throughout the valley tonight. Make sure you get plugged into one of the community groups here at our church. Great avenue um, to get to know people and serve the Lord together. Women's Bible study Thursdays at 6.30 in the hub. It started this week, but it is not too late to join. Make sure you jump in. I've already gotten emails from gals just talking about how great the time is together, so don't miss out on that. Uh, Flip side of 50, you're going to a hockey game this Saturday at 6.45. Tickets are 10 bucks at the door. So this Saturday, January 23rd, you're going to a Spartan hockey game. And I will tell you this right now, free coffee to anyone in the flip side of 50 uh, category who gets me video of any of the other flip side of 50 people pounding on the glass or cheering for fights in the hockey game. Okay, so free coffee for anyone that gets me that. I would love to see some of that and get it online. Um, Also, hey, uh, announcement, man camp coming up. Go ahead and save the date. It's going to be on April 1st through the 3rd. We'll get the sign-up information to you uh, next week. But uh, men, we're going up with uh, Acts 29 and going to be gathering together at Washington Family Ranch in Eastern Oregon, an incredible facility. Um, Our own worship team's coming with us. They're going to be doing the worship that whole weekend for the Acts 29 retreat. Um, I'll be kind of in seeing and running the stage kind of stuff. And we've got uh, a fantastic speaker and pastor from an Acts 29 church in Reno that's going to come up and be joining us and teaching through, interestingly enough, the book of Titus with us together. So make sure you jump in on that. It's going to be great. We'll have sign up details for you ASAP and watch for it on our website and other social media. Um, And then other than that, is that all? Um, Let's see. God ordained that Denver would win. I think that's all. That's it. So do me a favor. Grab your Bibles. Turn to Titus chapter 1. And I'm going to open us up in a word of prayer. God, thank you so much for the privilege of coming together, Lord, as the family of faith. Thank you, Lord, for your word, which you use to instruct us and to form and build and edify your church. And I pray, God, that in this time, Lord, you would do that very thing. I pray, God, that your spirit would just move through this place and, and Lord, just pour over us as the rain pours over this building. Lord, that you would guide, shepherd, direct, and form your church this morning. I pray, God, that you would speak wisdom into our lives. I pray, God, that you would protect your church from even me, Father. That you would give us your wisdom, your word, your plans, your directions. And that we would just continue, Lord, to a greater and greater and greater degree to to be, Lord, that manifestation of you, Jesus, to the world around us. And to be drawn closer and closer in relationship and fellowship with you. So that's why we're here, Lord. We pray that your spirit would accomplish this in our lives. And we pray, as always, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. Oh, my King, my Rock, and my Redeemer. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said... 
Amen. Well, guys, we're taking a little bit of a more extended pause from the book of Ephesians than we had originally planned, but for really good purpose. Um, in December, we took in an Advent series. You guys remember Advent is an, uh, if you will, an old church way of taking the season of Christmas, looking back to what Christ has already done, and also using that, the understanding of what he did, the promises he's already fulfilled, and using that to also launch us forward towards what he promises yet to do. And so in Advent, it's the idea of celebrating the visit, the coming, the arrival. So we look back on the fact that Christ came just as he promised, and then we look forward to Christ's promise that he is coming again. Well, what we're kind of doing right now fits really well in line with that. While the Advent series itself may be over, we are considering where we've been and what Christ has done and using that to think about the time moving forward. If you were here with us last week, you remember we talked about moving into this next year, that it is prudent and biblical to plan, that it is a godly thing that we would take time to reflect on what God has done in our own lives and in our lives as a church, and then look at where God is directing us and see where he might be ordaining our steps to go in the season ahead. And so we're taking just this month to do a little mini series, if you will, called The Marks of a Healthy Church. And last week we covered two. We talked about the fact that a healthy church communicates, and in that we communicated to you kind of the financial report and really just the overall report of where Heritage was and what we've accomplished and what we did and what monies came in and how those monies were used and all of those sorts of things last year. So if you're a numbers guy like that or you're interested in just knowing what's going on with the church and you missed out last week, make sure you go online and look for that. And we also have um, downloadable PDF forms that give you kind of graphs and things about that. And then we talked about the plan moving forward. We We talked about the the celebrations that God has done and the plans that God has for us in the future from practical things like we talked about the creation of a new building and futures account here at Heritage that that we opened up and kind of started it off by moving some of the savings that the church had or a really large part of about a half a million dollars actually into an account focused and specifically directed towards future growth and potentially a building one day should the Lord bless us with that. And some of you have asked about that. If you, how, do, how can we give towards such a thing and all that? If you just give and put in your memo building fund, we'll make sure that that money gets directed into that um, category. So that's something exciting that the Lord's doing. We talked about um, the development of the, or the plans within the children's ministry. You guys remember a few weeks ago they talked about the uh, Heritage Milestones program that is already underway. Um, just a lot of the different different things that we as a church feel the Lord is directing us to kind of tackle and take on this year and some of the things that we're just hoping the Lord might provide opportunity for us to do. So we talked about how a healthy church communicates in that communication, but we also talked about how a healthy church participates. And we were encouraging giving and giving of time and volunteering and support and prayer with you that we don't want you to just be an attendee. That's not church. I mean, that's like going to a movie. There's going to be a lot of people watching this Seahawks game today, and they they wear their jersey, and they call themselves 12th man, and they'll speak about the team in sort of the first person. We got to get this first down. We got this first down. We won. We did it. We, and dude, you didn't do nothing, man. You sat on the couch, and you had Cheetos, and you made a mess, and that, like that's what you did, and I get that, and that's great, but that's not actual participation in the Seahawks game. If you slept all day long, it would not affect the outcome of what's going on in the Seahawks game. That's not what church is supposed to be. It, the church that you're a part of, it should matter if you stopped coming. 
It should matter if you stopped participating because we are a body collectively together. We are the body of Christ joined together. And if my hand decided to be here but no longer participate in anything else anymore, I'm not going to send blood along anymore. I'm not going to pick things up anymore. Then it would be dying. And we want to see this church continue to grow and live. So we're encouraging you, man, participate in the life of the church. Amen? Well, today we're going to talk about a whole new topic. Today, we're going to talk about leadership. The idea is a healthy church has healthy leaders. Now, to clarify again, based on something we said last week as well, there's a difference between like healthy and healthy. Like our church, for example, last week we talked about finances for a good portion of the service. And the idea is this, our church is healthy, but but we want to be healthy. So, for example, you could say someone's healthy in that they are disease-free. And so financially, for example, we're healthy. We've never had embezzlement. We don't have inappropriate use of funds. We don't have any of that. We have accountability. We have oversight. That's healthy. But we want to be healthy. And so I was like, that, yeah, we're doing this, but can we do even better? And that's where the idea of even increased accountability, increased transparency and commitment, and even covenanting to you as a church on how we're going to use resources, that's a big difference. That's like, I'm ready to run a marathon healthy, not just I'm disease-free healthy, right? And we don't want to just exist and be disease-free. We want to be robust and ready for anything the Lord might send our way. Sound good, church? So this is what we're talking about today. We want to be a healthy church, and a healthy church has healthy leaders. We've got healthy leaders. We're disease-free when it comes to leadership, but, but could we be better? And so this is what we want to talk about today. So we're in the book of Titus is what we're going to look about this. Now, I got a couple of disclaimers before we go forward, because some of you are already thinking, I got my smartphone, and the Seahawks game's starting soon, and I'm just going to go ahead and check out, because this is about elders, and I, I can't ever be an elder, I won't ever be an elder, I don't care about being an elder, it's just not really for me, so I'm just going to zone out. So a couple of disclaimers. First of all, please understand, um, if you're not an elder, this applies to you, because maybe you would aspire to be one. There's this false notion in the church that if you want to be a leader of the church, you can never act as if you want to be a leader in the church. That if I want to be an elder, I can never say that to anyone. I need to be humble and quiet and just the Lord, the Holy Spirit will come like a spotlight and just, and now I get picked that that's how it works. That's not what the scriptures say. The Bible talk about like, if you desire for the office of an elder, you desire a good work. Like, it's okay to go, man, one day I would love to be involved in that level at the church. I would love to be, like, spiritually discipling people and involved with people and caring for people. And, and I would love to do that. And look, I will never know that that's on your heart, most likely, unless we ever have some sort of conversation. Unless I see how you're already stepping up and serving and doing the things of an elder before you actually desire to be one. Because when we as a leadership team get together and look for additional people to have serve in the leadership category, we're not so much looking at potential as we are who's leading now. So so this applies to you. Uh, Secondly, it applies to you as a church because as a congregation, part of your responsibility is to make sure you have elders like this. 
to make sure that people are serving you like this. A church can be unhealthy because they have unhealthy elders, but they can also be unhealthy because the elders are never held accountable. The the elders never really have to serve. They're just elders in title only, but don't actually do anything to deal with the spiritual well-being of the congregation. What you need to know, and we'll talk about this at the end, is the things that we're going to talk about here today are things that the leadership of this church is saying to you as a congregation, I covenant to do this for you to the glory of God. So you need to know these things, right? This is the role of elder. Everyone should. And then the third thing is this. We're going to look at some of these ideas of what it looks like to be an elder. And you go, well, I'm not an elder. I don't want to be an elder. I'm not interested in being an elder. But it it doesn't mean that this doesn't apply to you. Because like, for example, an elder can't be a drunk. Well, that doesn't mean you can, right? I don't want to be an elder because I plan on pounding a few later today. No, it doesn't work that way. Elders must be faithful to their wives, but I'm just going to go whatever. It doesn't work like that. The qualifications of an elder, if you look at the, the, the design, the biblical character of those who lead, are the same things that God calls us as maturing Christians to aspire to. So this applies to you as well. Everybody say, it's me too. No, everybody say, it's me too. It's me too. If someone next to you didn't say that, everybody turn to them and say, it's you too. (laughs) All right? This is what we're doing here. So this is the disclaimer. And then I have one last one. This is a gospel disclaimer. Because it's really easy to take a text like this and get legalistic about it. You could get this text and you could say, you have to be this and you have to be this and you have to be, and become completely legalistic about it. And I want to remind you about this. Paul had gone to this place called Crete and already preached the gospel and people were saved by the pure understanding and belief of the gospel of Jesus Christ, not because they started doing these things. Paul's coming in after conversion and he's saying to the pastor where the gospel's already been preached, where lives are already changing, and he's saying, now grab some men like this and pull them together. So Do not read something like this and go, I have to do this, I have to do this. This text is not meant to be a list of things that you need to do to earn favor with God. There is nothing you can do to earn favor with God because Christ has already done the only thing that matters with regards to favor with God. He died on the cross for our sins and if you put your faith in him, you have favor with God. Whether you ever accomplish successfully any of these things or not, our favor is not based on what we do or who we are. Amen? We have God's favor because of Christ and Christ alone. Amen? So we can't get legalistic with this. And we have to remember the same Paul who wrote Galatians and crushed legalism like an empty aluminum can is the same guy who writes this letter. So he is not advocating legalism. He is calling men to step up. He's calling men, and later in the book of Titus, though we won't get to this today, he's calling women as well. Hey, step up, lead, disciple people, raise other disciples. You've been saved, you are now growing, and now God's going to use you to grow other people in the faith. This is the purpose of the book of Titus, amen? So, with these things in mind, let's take a look, and let me give you a little bit of background too on Titus. It's a letter written by Paul to a pastor named Titus. Um, And it's written to him, he is pastoring a church in the island of Crete, which is on the south side off the coast of Greece. Now, Titus and Paul are tight. They're boys. In fact, 
Paul refers to him as his young son, his son in the faith. So we actually believe that Titus is most likely someone who converted to Christianity under Paul's teaching. So he's someone that, that Paul taught and mentored. He put an arm around this guy. He took him on mission trip with this guy. And he said, I'm going to teach. And Galatians even talks about the fact that Titus, who's a Gentile, meaning he's not a Jewish believer, um, Paul intentionally left him uncircumcised, which is a weird thing I know. And don't worry, we're not going to talk about that with regards to what we do with our, our leaders. But, but what it really means literally is that that Paul did not want Titus to buy into all the religious stuff that people had always associated with what it takes to be saved. He was like, look, in the past, you Jewish people believed you have to do this, 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 this to be part of the family of God. And Titus was kind of like his shining example that he brought along with him everywhere to go to say, look, it's the grace of God in his life. It's not the external things that we did to Titus or that Titus has chosen to do. It's the grace of God. And so this guy grows with Paul, he disciples with Paul, and at a certain point, this church, they go into Crete, and this church, the gospel's preached, and people are saved, and people want to learn more and more about Christ, and Titus is a sign, this is your place, man. Our time together in this way is done. You now are going to be the pastor, the elder, the chief shepherd, other than Christ, of course, probably a bad term to use, but, but you're going to be the shepherd of the people here on Crete. And so Titus starts a church. We don't know for sure how long the church has been going, but the ballpark guess is within a window of uh, certainty is between five and eight years. Five, seven and a half years, somewhere in that, that window right in there. Which interestingly enough is exactly where we are as a church. Exactly where we are as a church. And Paul comes in, writes about this, and there, there's this gospel work going on, but now he's encouraging Titus to do something specific with regards to this church that's around five to seven, five to eight years old. So let's see what he has him do. Let's read beginning in verse one. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. And at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have entrusted by the command of God, our Savior. So Paul says, I'm an apostle. I'm the teacher. I'm the guy who, who raised up Titus. I'm, I'm, I'm anointed by God for a specific mission. And that mission is to go in and remind people of the promises of God, the promise of the future of God, the regeneration work that God does in people's lives. And he says, and that work's done through what? Through the preaching and the declaration of the gospel. So right here is where we know Paul's been here before. He's preached the gospel and the gospel is doing its work. Lives are changing. Lives are changing, but the church isn't done. There's more to do. He continues on and says, to Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God, the father and Christ Jesus, our savior. This is why I left you in Crete. This is why I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So here's what he says. Titus, remember this five to seven, eight years later after the church began. Titus, listen, here's why you're here. Here's why I left you. We preached the gospel. Lives changed. 
we moved on. We could have just moved on, left things alone, see what the Lord does. But Titus, listen, here's why you're there. You have a purpose, Titus, as you lead and shepherd these people. I left you there to put into order what's going on in Crete. It doesn't just go and we'll just see what happens, but hey, there needs to be some order. There needs to be some structure. There needs to be some organizing. There needs to be an arrangement of what God is doing in Crete. And your job is to put into order what's going on there. And you're going to do it, he says, by appointing elders in every town as I have directed you. This is how the church is to be run and managed in the New Testament through the appointment of elders in the New Testament. In the New Testament, you do not see the leadership of the church by one man and one man alone. Sometimes you'll hear uh, this model referred to as the Moses model. And the reason is, is there's a passage in Exodus where Moses is kind of wearing down and he gets some, some uh, um, advice from his father-in-law like, look, man, you can't keep running this nation and these people the way that you do. You need to appoint people to be in charge of people to be in charge of people. And that's referred to as the Moses model because they say, okay, Moses, you're in charge and you need a couple of guys under you, a couple of generals, and they'll be in charge of a couple of guys under them. And there's sort of this pyramid of leadership structure. Structure. And it gets referred to as the Moses model. It is not an uncommon type of leadership by which people form and, and kind of organize the church today in our society. It's, it's not that uncommon. And by the grace of God, it can succeed. There are many churches and many ministries that are set up in this way um, that do effective things for the gospel. So in no way am I up here to throw stones at churches that are formed this way. But I will tell you this, there are zero Biblical mandates in the New Testament that say this is the way to organize a church. There are zero descriptions in scripture that say this is the way I want you to structure leadership in your church. It does not exist. In every case where the leadership of a church is described in the New Testament, it is always described as being led by elders plural. We'll get to that in just a second. The church is not to be led by one guy who is in charge of, because if the one guy is in charge, easy to get off rails. Are, are, men, are we susceptible to pride? Ladies, are men susceptible to pride? All right. Ladies, are men susceptible to sin? Ladies, are men susceptible to get off track? I don't care if your husband's next to you. Answer me. Yes, we, we absolutely are. And so in no place in the scriptures do we see it postulated that when you organize your church, there's one guy in charge of all things. If there is one guy in charge of all things at the church, his name is what? Jesus Christ. And that's it. So it's not to be set up that way. It's also not one guy who is in charge of multiple churches, whether it be, uh, um, you know, you could look at some of the, the Roman Catholic church or the early church did this in many places, Protestant and Catholic. Many of the churches have done this. You don't see that anywhere in the biblical model. I do understand that people could say, well, of course there wasn't because the church hadn't grown to that point yet. That came after the book of Acts, all those sorts of things. I'm pretty sure God knew what he was doing when he wrote all those things, Acts or not. So you don't see that anywhere. The, what you do see in scripture is the common call to when you plant a church, when you organize a church, you are to raise up elders. Everybody say Zuh. elders, Zuh. plural, verse five, appoint, say it with me, elders in every town I've directed you. 
And this is really specific. Even the word itself, elder, in the Greek is presbyteros, which is where we get the word presbyterian from, which means a plurality of elders. It's not one. It's not make sure you get an elder. You got one. Cool. Let's go to another church. It is elder. Very nice. You're catching along very well. This is what he's called to do. Elders are mentioned that way in the New Testament. And this is just wisdom. This is wisdom. It is safe for the church. It is safe for the leaders. It is safe for the elders to have people around them. And again, remember I said earlier, these things apply to you whether you want to be in church leadership or not. Because nowhere in scripture are you to be, as a Christian, a lone ranger. It's not safe. From the very beginning, we learn what? It is not good for man to be what? Alone. It is not good. Men or women, we need community. One man alone can fall easily. Men in community, it is safe. You have accountability. You have structure. You have help. You have encouragement. You have people that can teach you. You have people you can learn from. You have people with different giftings that can make up for your weaknesses. It is a safe and good thing to have elder Right, right. Now, here's a question. Does elders mean old? Uh, you want Sometimes it does mean old. In this particular case, does it mean old? Well, how about this? Titus is probably like 30. So if that's old, I don't want you to go to this church anymore. <laughs> if that's your definition of old, then I'm already ancient and some people older than me are going to be really upset with your definition. So does, that, so does it mean that to be an elder of a church, you have to be old? No. What he's talking about is age in the faith. The, the idea is this. Hey, you're going to find some people that have walked this out for a while. Your church now, Titus, is five, seven, eight years old. There's some men in there that they were saved on day one. They've been walking with you. They've been in fellowship with you. They've been taught by you. They're walking through these things and they've been doing it for a while. You need to go find some of those guys. Men who are old in the faith, men who have an understanding of the gospel and the Holy Spirit is clearly working in their life as they're growing. It's not necessarily physical age. Maybe statistically speaking, it ends up being elder just simply because, well, years take years, right? But it's not necessarily what happened. Paul himself in other passages is referred to as a young man. Timothy is in his early 30s. He writes to him, let no man despise your youth. We're not talking about young. We're talking about old in the faith. He's walked this out. He understands this. And what does he say about elders? Look at verse six. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Now think about something. It's election year, right? We're looking for leaders in our, in our country, right? And so when someone in our country wants to put themselves out there as a potential leader, as someone that should be put into authority that we should follow, what is it that they do? They go right to skills and they go right to um, professional track record. I studied here, I served here, I've done this, I've done all these kind of things. But what's the first place Paul tells Timothy, or excuse me, Titus here to look? He doesn't say, hey, go look for a guy with a PhD in theology. He doesn't say, hey, go look for a guy who is an incredible orator or speaker. He doesn't say any of those things. He doesn't look to skills. He doesn't look to resume with regards to specific training, any of that kind of stuff. He looks to, instead of speaking skill or knowledge, he says, what does he look like in the community and how's he leading his home? 
He's going to character. Character matters. Remember the debates we've had? Well, we have them every election season, don't we? Doesn't matter what they are in their personal life. What matters is what they can do when they walk into the office. But here, when it comes to leadership, the Bible says, hey, when you're appointing some leaders to put things in order, first, how do they look into the community? And how is it they they look at home? As the Puritans often say, you can't lead the big church until you lead the little church. And this is what they're talking about. So he says, above reproach, another word for that would be unimpeachable. Um, The idea is he doesn't have accusations on him in that moment. He is someone who who right now has a good reputation in the community. There's no one that's got charges against him. He's not not someone that when you appoint him, people are going, what? That guy? There's none of that in this case. Um, So if your elder or your elder appointment or your your elder, um, if you see him when he's, you see him in church, he's leading and he's praying and he's serving. But then on the weekends when he's not at church, when he's not serving, he's like smoking doobies in the back of an El Camino with bikini models, probably above reproach, right? So, excuse me, probably not above reproach, I should say. Sorry about that. Um, And he says he's the husband of one wife. What does that mean? A lot of debate goes around this one right here. Um, Some people, there's four different possible definitions. Some people say it means that you've never been married. There are some people that say you should, or excuse me, I'm sorry. They say that because of this, an elder must be married. That's what some people say. He is a one-woman man, therefore you cannot be an elder, pastor, or leader unless you've been married. Well, there's a couple of problems with that. Was Jesus ever married? Please tell me you know the answer to this question. <laughs> was Jesus, we're going, all right, fundamentals 101, turn to the book of John. Now, was Jesus ever married? At this moment, at least, is Paul married? Okay, so if your elder uh, requirements mean that both Jesus and Paul would fail to qualify for a leadership position in your church, you might want to rethink your restrictions. Just a thought. So that would be difficult. Um, And then elsewhere, Paul actually writes that it is often beneficial to the ministry that you remain what? Single. So it can't mean that you have to be married in order to lead the church. Number two, it some people will say that you can't have been married and then divorced and then remarried. One woman guy means one woman guy. So there, you've never been divorced. You've never even been widowed. That that's never the case. But the early church actually did take the passage this way. But the reality is, is that there was language available that was infinitely more commonly used at the time when speaking about divorce and the end of marriages that Paul never actually uses right here. And in addition to that, in the rest of this list of requirements that you have to qualify for to be a leader, never on any of the other ones does he say, if you've never. So in other words, he doesn't say that you can be an elder if you've never been drunk. He doesn't say that. He says, if you're not controlled by wine, you're not controlled by alcohol. So, so the idea that we should take this and everything else as a, if we've never, if, if we made that the qualifications, then we would never find people to lead in the congregation right now. We just wouldn't. And then the number three is that people will say, well, he just means right there that you can't be a polygamist, which is that true? Yes, you cannot be a polygamist and be involved in leadership at the church, but that's not the context he's speaking about or not the language he refers to in here. What he's saying right here, the guy's faithful. The guy's faithful. Now, there's longer conversations to be had about things like divorce and remarriage. 
But, but even in that, you need to look at what's the Lord done in someone's life? What's the Lord doing in someone's life? Is this man faithful? Why was there divorce? There are all sorts of things that a church needs to be faithful to dig into when they're dealing with these sorts of things. So by no means do I mean that that's just a, as long as you have one woman at the time, you're good. That's not what it means. The Bible's looking for, if, if you're a gospel minister and the gospel is about the fact that Christ is faithful when we are not, then it's important that the people that are giving that, that message to the others be men of faithfulness as well. This is what he's talking about. And, and he goes on even further than that, actually. He said, his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Another one that people get kind of hung up on sometimes. So does this mean that an elder, uh, that someone who wants to be an elder but one of their children isn't a believer, does this mean that that person is disqualified from being able to serve as an elder? No, it doesn't mean that. I mean, think of it like this. If the Bible teaches that it is not in the control of men whether someone's heart is opened or not to the gospel, if the Bible tells us it's the Holy Spirit that opens the heart and mind of people to the heart of the gospel, then how in the world could we hang the responsibility of whether someone can serve Jesus or not on how they have opened their child's heart to the gospel? That's not what this means. Um, The idea is this. You can tell if someone's going to be, it's the Puritan thing. You can tell if someone's going to be a good leader of the big church by looking at the way that they lead the small church. And, And again, look, we're not looking for perfection here. We're not looking for perfection. Sometimes we look at this as like this, such an ultimate level of hierarchical, kind of upper level Christianity that, I mean, look, of course they have a different set of requirements and of course they're held to requirements to a specific degree because of the office, but the gospel promises us no one is nailing these things 100%. That person only existed once and that's Jesus Christ himself. But the idea is we're looking for faithful men who have a heart to learn, who will confess and repent sin, who the trajectory of their life is headed towards one of godliness, who value godliness, faithful, gospel, Jesus-loving men. And men, we can always do better. I don't know, I don't care how long you've been an elder. I mean, I was reading and studying these things constantly convicted for the last couple of days over the stuff that I'm reading in my own life. We can always do better. But this is not a legalistic set of requirements. This is, this is the kind of guy you're looking for. You're looking for a faithful, God-fearing man who leads his family, shows that he teaches the gospel, shows that he cares about his, his, his reputation in the community, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. This is what we're talking about. And he goes on in verse 7. He says, For an overseer, as God's steward, must be, and he says it again, above reproach, He must not be arrogant, quick-tempered, drunkard, or violent, or greedy for gain. So now we're moving into a little bit more specifics that Paul's going to talk about. And he says that an elder must not be arrogant. Must not be arrogant. And it's amazing how often people can take a biblical position like elder and become incredibly arrogant over their position there. I mean, the the prime example of this is the priesthood in the New Testament during the time of Jesus Christ. Is it not? Arrogant. Arrogant who want attention as they give their tithes so they can look how holy they are, who never have interaction with sinners because that would ruin their reputation, they became incredibly 
arrogant, and that's contrasted with Jesus Christ, who by his own definition said, follow me for I am weak, I am lowly of spirit, I'm meek, I am humble. So a leader, someone who desires to be a leader in the church must be a man who is not arrogant about this, but is humble. And number two, he must not be quick-tempered. He can't have a short fuse. And can I, I'll just tell you practically, if you are aspiring to be in church leadership, I'm just going to tell you right now, church leadership means dealing with people. And when you deal with people long enough, you know, if you have a short fuse, it's probably a bad place to serve because it's going to happen. You are going to get frustrated. You are going to get angry at times. You are going to go, is anyone listening to me at times? And if you're a man of a short temper, you're going to ruin your gospel message. You're going to drive people away from the church. You're going to ruin relationships between you and those other people. And you can't possibly give an example of a humble, meek Jesus that drew sinners to him when you're constantly yelling, flipping the finger, whatever the case may be, to the people who drive you nuts. Amen? Hey, look, the Bible calls all of us as Christians to be people of self-control, who are not quick to anger. And so, man, if, if that's you, man, go to the Lord with that. God wants to change that in you. By the grace of his spirit, he wants to change that fuse. But he says, look, you, you can't serve in an area of leadership if you're going to be quick-tempered. I mean, just think, if Jesus had quick temper, man, he would have flipped those disciples into the sun so early in the Gospels. Like, they would have never been there by the end of the Gospels. You know what I'm saying? He just wouldn't have. Um, but thank God, Jesus is patient with them and with us. Amen? Also, he says, you can't be a drunkard. You can't be controlled by alcohol. I am aware that in the book of Timothy, especially if you're a King James person, that in the book of Timothy, it gives qualifications of deacons, and it says that deacons um, are not to have much wine, not much. And then when it comes to the passage about elders, it says elders are not to have wine, as in not any. And people will uphold that to say elders are not allowed to have that. But when you look at, even in the King James, you look at the language that was used and translated from, and you look at the other translations, the honest, the only fair, honest translation in that is you are not controlled by alcohol, and it's the same in both counts. So in this particular passage, it is not saying that an elder can never touch alcohol. What it's saying is you cannot be controlled by alcohol. You cannot be in a place where, and I'm, I'm talking in an instance or in a lifestyle, where alcohol takes over and you are no longer in control. You cannot be a drunkard. It's just as simple as that. Amen? You cannot be a drunkard. This is what it's talking about. You're to be controlled by the Spirit of God, not liquor. All right? Uh, and then he says, and not violent. Not violent. Peaceable. Peaceable. If violence would work, then, then we would be able to say, all right, let's have the guns on the pastoral desk. And when we bring people in that don't know Jesus, we'll be like, shh, shh. All right. This is how it's going to go. I'm going to pray. You're going to say I'm in. Ready? It's not the way. You can't coerce someone into the kingdom of God. You can't coerce someone to change. We are to model Christ for them. We're not to be violent. And finally, greedy. You're not to be greedy. And that, that can go a lot of different ways. Greedy is wider than we give it credit for. Because, for example, in Peter, it talks about the fact that you're not, you're not shepherding the flock of God for lucre, for gain, for, for money, in other words. So, so we are not to be pastors, elders, or leaders so that we get the paycheck, so that we become rich. Anyone getting wealthy and building their own empire because they're leading the people of God are in sin. Okay? 
That's not what he's talking about alone, though. Can, can you be greedy in other ways? Can you lead the flock of God because you want all the attention? Because you want all the notoriety? Because you want all the respect? Because you want all the power? Because you want to control people? Because you want people to follow you? Can you? Absolutely. The people who lead on behalf of God must lead as God did. And think about Christ who, who put his Godhead down for the sake of humbly serving others. Look at the description in Philippians 2 of how he, he was to be exalted over anyone and everything and he set that aside willingly to serve. Look at how he teaches the apostles. See how the rulers of the world, how they lead people. For you it shall not be so. Those who want to be great in my kingdom will be what? Slaves, he says. That's what it looks like. If there's a pyramid model to church leadership, it's inverted. And, and the higher you want to climb, so to speak, in church leadership means the lower you're digging so that you get lower and lower and lower. You're serving more and more and more. This is what it means. And he's not done, verse 7. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered. He must not be drunkard or violent for greedy gain. Verse 8, but hospitable a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. You must be hospitable. It's, it's hard to be an elder and not be a people person. It's hard to be an elder. It, it's like being a shepherd and saying, but I hate sheep. I, I, I want to be a shepherd. I don't want anything to do with sheep, however. Well, it kind of goes with the territory, doesn't it? So to be an elder means you must be hospitable. It doesn't mean that someone's in your home 24-7 necessarily. It means that you, there's something about you and your character that you are genuinely, genuinely and regularly open to spending time with, hosting, entertaining, caring for, ministering to people. It also says that you're a lover of good. You're just... You're after the good things, not just for you, but for others. You want to see people grow in Christ. You have an appetite for these things. You're self-controlled, which we've talked about, which can mean anger to any of the categories, really. Alcohol, anger, food, money. You're upright. You can't fall over a lot. You have to be upright. No, you're a godly, genuine, holy, disciplined, as it says in verse 8, the leader that he's told to look for when he's taking people and using them to organize structure and lead the church is find some godly men who have an appetite for Jesus that just want to see other people do well. Find a guy that cares about other people. Find a guy that loves Jesus and loves Jesus' people and wants to see them do well and is willing to sacrifice himself in order to make sure that those people are walking closer and closer with Jesus. This is what, in other words, character matters. This is what he's calling to. Don't go to the seminary and find them. Don't go to those places and find them. You need people that are walking with people who love Jesus. Verse 9. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. An elder or a leader, someone in church leadership, you must love the Bible. Amen? You must love the Bible. You must hunger the Bible. If they cut you open, you should bleed blood mixed with Bible verses. 
Like you must have an appetite for the Bible and hold firm to the Bible. And, and here's a little side note. Notice what it says. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word, what? As taught. So he's reaching to the apostolic teachings and the teachings of Jesus Christ. The way you've been taught, hold to that. So the elder who comes in and says, I have a new revelation that's been given to me that's different from what's been taught before. We finally figured it out and here's what Christianity is all about. That is not holding to the word as taught. That is not holding to the word as taught. We are to hold to the scriptures Jesus taught, the scriptures Paul wrote, the scriptures as taught. That is a massive layer of importance at Heritage Christian Fellowship and should be in every one of our lives, especially those who want to be elders. Amen? That means elders. If it's as taught, you know what else that means? You should be taught. Like you should always be learning always be reading, always studying the scriptures, always wanting to go deeper, always wanting to broaden your knowledge, always growing and learning. And just this Friday, I, I go up to Western Seminary. I'm working on a, a master's in theology up there. And when we got there this week, we were on campus all day, me and a group of other pastors. And actually, Rick Boya from Trail Fellowship was up there for the day with us. Gary Brashears, who's the theology head there, was the teacher. And he brought Rick up for half the day. And Rick just spent some time talking about his sort of ministry experiences, some things he's been through, um, not just in his ministry as a whole, but even over the last however many years. And it was just a really rich time talking about that. And one of the things he impressed on all the other pastors up there was like, man, don't ever quit learning. Don't ever stop reading. Don't ever get to a place of complacency. So if you desire to be in a position of church leadership, you are hungry for the word of God and you want to learn more. Amen? Amen. It also doesn't mean, it says this now, it says here that you're holding firm to the trustworthy word is taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and to rebuke those who contradict it. So you're not just learning the Bible for the sake of learning the Bible. You're learning the Bible so that you can teach it to others. Now that does not mean that, because there's some of you that are like, man, I'm, I'm not some big eloquent teacher, so I, you, I'm just going to shut down now because clearly this isn't talking about me. That's not what it means. There's actually few elders in most congregations who would feel comfortable doing, for example, this. But a lot of guys who would feel comfortable sitting down at a coffee table one-on-one -on -one with someone and teaching them about the Lord and teaching them what the Lord's done in their life. That is, an, I would say, even an infinitely more valuable form of teaching in the day-to-day -day life of someone than what I'm doing even right now. Because the honest truth is, half you already forgot half of what I said the last week or two weeks ago. I forgot half of what I said two weeks ago. But there's something that happens even in one-on-one -on -one or small group discipleship among men that is formative. And, and I would say this, a lot of times the preaching of the word to the congregation comes back up in small groups in a way that's actually more powerful and more impacting because it becomes practical and real, not just something done in a big congregational setting. So it's important. So an elder is not necessarily someone who has the ability to stand in front of a thousand people and eloquently teach. What it means is you understand the word and you can sit down with someone and talk about things. 
You can talk about the scripture. You can get them from point A to point B, understanding things that are going on here in the scripture. It also doesn't mean, though, by default that you understand every single thing, but at least you have such an appetite for the word that when someone comes to you with a question, you're going to be okay with saying, man, let's figure this out. Let's find out. Let's learn together. And you're going to walk that guy through this. So this is what this means. It doesn't mean you have to be an incredible teacher, but it does mean you teach. You, you can't be an elder at a church just to be part of a roster. If you're going to be an elder at a church, it's because you want to take the things you're learning and actually do them for the congregation there. You have to teach to be an elder, whether you're an amazing teacher or not. This is the purpose for what we're taking. Elders teach, but they're shepherds. Elders teach, but they're also shepherds. They can come alongside you. They can walk you through things. They can talk about things. They care about what's going on. They don't just point and rebuke, but they get involved. They want to help you understand things. They want to walk about you. They actually care about the flock, and they want to see the flock do well. They want to be examples to the flock and walk with the flock. When you look at Jesus' leadership style, he was always bringing the guys along with him, and he would teach them along the way. As they're walking down a road, hey, guys, guys, come here, look. See the lilies? Think about this. Look at how they don't have to toil. They're not, and, and he would use these things and he would teach to these men as they walked. He didn't go, all right, class is over. I'll see you guys in another week. When synagogue goes, uh, I'm heading to the lake and I'm gonna study some more, good luck. But no, he was involved. He was part of their lives. He felt pain when they struggled. He was involved in the lives of the people. These are what shepherds do. The shepherds have to intimately care what's going on in the flock, be available to the people in the flock, and actively lead the people in the flock. Which brings us to why we're talking about this when we talk about the idea of where heritage has been and where is heritage going, and the idea of going from disease-free to healthy church. When Heritage began, we, we sought to use this sort of model for leadership. Um, it was actually based on 1 Peter 5, 3, that you're to be examples to the flock of God. You're not lording over the congregation because it is God's heritage, is what it said in the King James Version. So that's where the name, even Heritage, came from. From a passage about leadership that talks about how you're shepherding, loving, involved, not just trying to make money off of and not being a dictator over, but you're shepherding the flock of God, God's flock. And so that's where we really started as a church. And so we started as a church with a plurality of elders model, not at that time necessarily because I was this like, oh, this is what the Lord has revealed to me and I'm a godly man. I would never do anything different. It was sort of out of necessity because I was like, look, I am a really social person just by nature. My personality is very social and I don't want to go do this alone. Like I, I want guys that I can lock arms with and spend time with and pray. I need help. I'm not good at a lot of different things. I don't know what I'm even doing right now. And so we started out with a group of guys and we locked arms together and we created sort of the board of directors for the church, which was also functioned as our board of elders here. And the number in there has fluctuated depending on times and seasons and people's availability and all of that from four guys, excuse me, from four guys to seven guys. And that, that's what we've had leading the church from day one, so, which will be, what, eight years, I think, in June. That's how old we'll be. So right in the same category kind of is what Titus is dealing with right here, right? So, which I think is encouraging. Because sometimes I'll find myself thinking eight years in, we should be way better organized, way better, doing way more, all these different things than now. In the same way that a lot of times we can be hard on ourselves as believers, you know what I'm talking about? 
Like, man, I should be over this by now. I should be better than this by now. I, I kept swearing I was going to do this and that, and I haven't. And, and, and I can do this too with regards to the church. And then I read these passages and I see that a lot of the things that we're going through right now as a church, even organizationally, are part of just the natural flow and growth of a church, even all the way back to the days of Paul and Titus. That's encouraging to me. Um, and it's also encouraging to me to see that this is where we are because I, I feel like the Lord's leading us just as he led them. So it's a good thing. Um, but here's what happened. When we started off, we were weird for a lot of reasons, but we were weird for one reason in particular. Our first day as a church, we had like 100 people at our first service. That's really strange. Um, the Lord blessed us because we were a plant from the other side of town. So to have 100 people on day one is weird. Um, but we've grown. For example, last Sunday alone, here in this room, so just the adults after all the kids are gone, we had 565 adults in this room. We had 170 kids just in the children's wing, not counting junior high. So overall, last Sunday, there were over 700 people here worshiping and serving as part of Heritage Christian Fellowship. And so here's the problem with that. Five to seven guys as elders and board of directors cannot possibly do the things that an elder is required to do with 700 people here, especially in our day and age. Because here's the other reality of it. For the 700 that were here, there's probably two to 300 that weren't. And we, we just have that kind of uh, um, community and lifestyle as the Western church now that people come and go. There's numbers coming in. You never know. Then you have in our valley, the church hopping in our valley is unbelievable. So who knows what church people were at that particular day. I mean, it, it, it's, it's all over the place. So to think that we could take the leadership model that we began with, which was a godly biblical leadership model, to start our church off with and faithfully care for the people of the church is impossible. And so here's what ha has happened over the last few years. I can think of examples of people, I can see some of you in this very room, as a matter of fact, who things like you've gone for surgery and we never knew. And so no elder ever came to pray for you. No one ever came to serve you in the church. You never knew those things. Where you got sick and no one knew. Where you went through a, a family situation and no one was there for you. There's people in here who are new to this church or newer and you're like, you've been coming here maybe for months, maybe for years and never had an elder of the church come up to you, introduce himself and ask how he can serve you and how he can integrate you into the church. Many of you in this room would say that's your story right now. And for most of you in this church, you'd probably say, I don't have a clue who the elders even are. I don't even know. Well, that's a problem. If the role of an elder in the church is the spiritual oversight of the people in the church, but you don't have enough elders involved to actually maintain relationships with all the people in the church, you're in trouble. And so I know for a fact from emails, from letters, from personal interactions, that there are a ton of people through the last eight years who have come into Heritage and then slipped right back out the door of the Heritage because they never felt anyone was there to actually kind of grab them. Now, I do not take that to mean that the elders we have now are failures. They just have a limited amount of relational capacity, just like we all do. We can only handle so many relationships until you're full. And if you try to expand beyond that, then you will fail in maintaining the other relationships that you have around you. And look, I know this more than anybody because there are so many people in this room that I walk up to or run into or I'll see outside the church and, I'm, and they're like, hey, we go to Heritage and I do not recognize you at all. And I'm like, oh, are you new? Now we've been going there for two years. And I'm like, oh. 
And it happens all the time. And for me, a relational people pleaser kills me when that happens. You, you need to please know this. It matters to me when that happens. And I apologize for that. But the reality is, I nor anyone else on the face of the earth has the relational capacity to have that kind of shepherding influence on this many people. I just don't, not even close. So we were like, we, we got to do something different. We got to figure something else out. And so what we've been working on for over a year now, and, and even longer, frankly, was how can we reorganize the leadership so that we can better minister to the needs of the flock? But I don't want to grow this board of directors so that we're trying to get 30, 40 guys together every time we need to have a budget meeting or something, because we'll never get anything accomplished. You should see how hard it is just to get six, seven guys together at the same time with the kind of schedules we all live these days. And so what we've been doing is working on a, a completely new leadership structure that, that we're unveiling to you today, and we're going to unveil some men to you, so to speak, today um, that are uh, looking to serve in that capacity. And, and what we're going to do is this. We believe the Lord has led us to make a, um, a separation between governing elders and shepherding elders. So governing elders think business, think last week, think finances, running of the organization, governing leaders, uh, kingly gifted people to serve in an area of administration and organization, putting that element of the church into order. It's one of the reasons we hired Aaron Beamish as an executive pastor. And most of the guys on our board are guys who, godly men who can teach and know the word, but gifted in the business world, gifted organizationally, gifted in leadership. That's the board of directors. We're calling those governing elders or the board of directors. But, but there's not enough of those guys to deal with the spiritual needs of the flock. And truth be known, so many of our board meetings lately, the prayer is like that introductory prayer so we can hurry up and get to the meeting because we just have way too much stuff to do. And it's already eight o'clock on a Wednesday night after church. And so, so we find that we're not even succeeding as elders in dedicating ourselves to the prayer and study of the word that we're required to do as elders. So so this will be the board that just runs the business organizational end of the church. And we want to create another board that's the board of shepherding elders. The shepherding elders are men who are not voting on budgets. They're not involved in interviews for hiring or any of those kinds of things. They are here for one reason and one reason only. And that is to serve and minister to the spiritual needs of the people at Heritage Christian Fellowship to pray for the people at Heritage, to lead the people of Heritage faithfully. Specifically, actually, the people in the board of, of shepherding elders are covenant, and this would include, by the way, if, if you're on the board of directors, you are part of the shepherding board too, but not all the shepherding board people are part of the executive board. Does that make sense? Um, with the exception of the seventh seat, I know this is boring, but it's important that you know this, the seventh seat, there's six guys on the board of directors and a seventh seat that would be a one-year rotating position voted on and brought up from the men on this other board. So they don't vote in business, but they have a representa uh, representative on the other uh, board, if that, make, if that makes sense, one-year rotating kind of a thing. So, so here is what, the elders at Heritage Christian Fellowship are covenanting to do with you. This is not about just, we're elders, so do what we say. It's not an authoritative thing that many church structures are built on. 
When you become a heritage, uh, a heritage elder, you are making a covenant to the body of Heritage Christian Fellowship to do the following things. Um, and I think we have some slides on this. Number one, to prayerfully seek God's will for our church community and steward her resources to the best of our ability based on our study of scriptures and the following of the Spirit. That's based on Acts 20 and on 1 Peter 5. To, prayer, to pray for the church. Where would God have us go as a church? How do we best serve and nurture the church? Number two, to care for the church and seek her growth in grace, truth, and love. And this would be a good time to remind you, in this case, is the church an organization or is it people? It's people. So these men that you're about to meet are people who are covenanting to serve you. And we gotta hurry or I will have lied to the Seahawks fans. Um, number three, to provide teaching and counsel from the whole of Scripture. We just covered this, I think, in detail. Number four, to equip the members of the church for the work of ministry. We want to see people trained and raised up in the work of the ministry. Number five, to be on guard against false teaching, teachers, and teachings. Number six, to lovingly exercise discipline when necessary for the glory of God and the good of the one disciplined and for the health of the church uh, as a whole. Sometimes being an elder means you have to deal with some stuff. And the point of dealing with stuff is not about protecting the purity of our church so much as it is the growth of the person who's struggling. And so by God's grace and with God's grace, the elders are saying, I'm going to seek to serve the people of heritage by promising that, hey, if you get involved in junk, I'm going to lovingly get involved in your life. And for the glory of God, I want to see you do well. That's what this means. And then finally this, to set an example and join members in fulfilling the obligations of church membership stated below. <gasps> Next week, we'll talk later. If I'd have known that was on there, I wouldn't have put that on the slide. <laughs> so this is what the elders at Heritage Christian Fellowship are covenanting to do for you. So here's what we've been doing. For the last several months now, we've been interviewing and meeting with men throughout the congregation. First, we as a board of directors just spent some time just spitting names out. What about this guy? No, not him. What about that guy? No, what, um, that kind of stuff. We're just really kind of going through. I shouldn't say that because then if your name's on this list, you're going to feel that. And I'm really just trying to be funny. It's not funny at all. Um, don't do that, you dummy. Church discipline for Jeff. Okay, um, but, but we've spent some time meeting with guys, talking with guys, praying over a list. And then we spent time actually setting up formal interviews. Each of the guys has actually filled out an application, if you will, that gives us sort of their history with the church and their background, even work history, references. And then we've met with them as a board, interviewed them and their wives in many cases, and really just talked through like, man, why are you at Heritage? What's the mission that God's called you to at Heritage? Why are you serving the people at Heritage? What's the Lord doing in your life? Even really sticky questions that can be uncomfortable for us at times to hear things like, hey, at Heritage, what drives you insane? What goes on at Heritage that you can't stand? And really walking through and trying to see, man, what's the Lord doing? And as we've done this, the Lord has really put together a group of people um, that we have on our end vetted and approved as a board and as the le current leadership at Heritage to be the initial, if you will, offering of shepherding elders at Heritage Christian Fellowship. It is not a final list. There, there are men that have even come to mind since we started this process that I would love to spend time with and see if the Lord would do that. There are young men in the congregation that I would love to be able to see be a part of this and be raised up as elders. 
elders in the congregation. In fact, we have one guy I'll be introducing to you in a minute that'll be the first person on what we're calling an elder in training program. He'll be part of the meetings with everyone else. He just won't be, so to speak, a voting or he won't be actually going out and as an elder serving on his own, but he'll be glued to the hip of another one of the elders of the church so he can learn and he can be discipled and he can grow. And we want to see more young men put into something like this so that we're raising more men up in the church. But for right now, what I need to do quickly is, guys, you know who you are. If you're part of that, if you and your wife could join me up here really quick. Um, This is what we're going to do. Just come on up. Um, Come on up. (laughs) This is how this is going to go down. Um, Each of these guys has uh, offered to come on up and stand before you. I'm going to introduce you briefly to these guys. And then here's what this does. Today kicks off a 21-day approval period for you, the congregation. Um, are, Are they above reproach? Are they men of the word? Are you watching someone walk on stage right now where you're like, that dude stole my car? (laughs) All right? Um, If that's the case, we need to know about that as a congregation. So as you leave here, there's going to be some guys at the door that are going to hand out a piece of paper to you that's got their names on it and it's got an email address on it. And if you know of some reason why this person should not be serving at an, as an elder at Heritage Christian Fellowship, you need to get a hold of us, um, the pastors here at the church, and then we'll walk through that whole process and see what, what's going on in that. Okay, so this will take a, this will be a process of 21 days and then assuming whoever it is that there's no issues with all that kind of stuff on the first Sunday of March, we're going to be just laying hands on these guys, praying for them, commissioning them as shepherding elders at Heritage. And then we will be going from church that day as a group to our first meeting that afternoon. And we'll be meeting the first Sunday of every month over at the hub to pray to talk about what the Lord's doing in the church. A lot of these guys are community group leaders and teachers to go, hey guys, you have your finger on the pulse of what's going on at the church. So tell me, how are marriages that you're associated with? How are the kids that you're associated with? Um, We believe that this expands our ability to be able to know what's going on in our congregation and be able to make sure that we as leaders are serving you better. Because the motivation in this is all this. Please hear me, church, listen. The motivation in this is not to get bigger, The motivation in this is not structure or any of that. I hate structure, to be quite honest with you. The motivation in this is we want to serve you better to the glory of God and for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want you to feel like this isn't just a church you attend, but that you have somebody that actually cares how you're doing and that is shepherding you and leading you. This is the goal of the leadership structure. So really quickly, I'm just going to introduce you to some of these guys. Let's go down the list. This is Sid Dyer over here. Sid and Holly I've known for a really long time. Um, Sid works for RHT Energy. He's a PE and IT supervisor, which is all initials. That means he's a really, really good and gifted engineer. And um, Sid is currently serving as a kids wing overseer. He leads a huddle group and he works in the sound uh, ministry. He actually was the sound ministry at Heritage for a really long time when we first began. This is Sid and his wife, Holly. Uh, I've known them for a long time. Here over here, we have David and Priscilla Dutton. Um, David and Priscilla have been around for a really long time too. Dave works for Diode laser concepts as an engineer. I think I've been told he's currently working on lightsabers for the security staff here at Heritage Christian Fellowship. Um, David has worked in, he's 
basically David served everywhere in this church at, at some capacity or another. Right now he's working in the cleanup and teardown crew in the children's ministry and he's serving as a huddle leader. That's David and Priscilla. Who we got next? Henry and Lori Sullivan. I've known these guys forever. We were neighbors in Mexico together at the mission. Um, Henry works for Josephine County Community Corrections. He's a drug and alcohol counselor with the county in Josephine County. Just a killer role where you can, can really make a difference in people's lives. Um, Henry and Lordy, 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 Henry and Lori are serving as a Sunday school teacher and as a huddle leader. They actually took over the huddle group that I had started a couple of years ago. So um, we're really blessed to have them involved here. Um, who's next? We have David and Brennan Hamron. If you've been baptized here at Heritage, you've probably had Brennan taking your picture. Um, she's a really gifted photography and has served there. And uh, David, your info is where? David is, uh, he works for Avamir Health Services as a charge nurse there. Um, they are co-huddle leaders and they both serve in our children's ministry in the kids' wing. Then we have Pat Schaff over here. Pat is uh, just a great guy, man. I, I have been really, really blessed and grown a lot just from my uh, um, time getting to know Pat over the few years. He's a good brother who I've been able to sit down with and have lots of honest conversations. And the thing I love about Pat is that Pat is never scared to ask me tough questions. And that's a good thing. Thank you for that, Pat. You're a good brother. Pat and Nancy here. Pat, it works for Portland Engineering. As an engineer, um, he serves here as a setup crew and as a huddle leader. Who do we got next? We got Mitch. Now, Mitch is, this is a little different thing for Mitch. Okay, so... <laughs> Mitch and Julie Pallotta are up here. Um, dear friends, you guys know, really fun couple. Um, but Mitch is up here for sort of a, a dual purpose. Um, Mitch has not only been, um, uh, uh, if you will, approved as a shepherding board member, but as the new sixth member of the actual governing board and board of directors at Heritage Christian Fellowship. Um, Mitch has had great success. The Lord's blessed him um, as a great business leader and has an incredible heart for the Lord. Been, I mean, his children are serving in ministry just a, a, a real blessing to have him at the congregation. So his role is a little different from the other guys, uh, but that, that's uh, Mitch and Julie here. Um, and then who do we got here? Carl and Cindy Hamasu. Um, Carl and Cindy, I've been associated with them for a long time. There's all kinds of fun stories we could tell, but we will not. Um, just great friends who love the Lord and have a great heart. Carl is also another one of those guys who just has a real knack for wanting to get together with guys and just get to the heart of stuff. Like not the flowery conversations, but no, 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 let's really talk now and really getting involved in people's lives. And so we're really, really blessed to have Carl and Cindy. Um, Carl's a, a ministry teacher and business owner here in the Valley. We're really blessed to have them as part of it. And then we have David Watt. So David here and his wife are um, a little newer, though not super new to Heritage. It's been over a year now that David and Julie have been here. But um, David and Julie came to us. They were first involved for a long time at John Piper's church. Um, if you guys are familiar with him, he's a decent teacher. And um, so... <laughs> They learned some things from him, I guess. <laughs> then they came to an Acts 29 church in the Pacific Northwest that we're really um, closely associated with, really good friends with the pastor, Rob Barreth. And um, when they were moving down here, they got sent and Rob was like, man, you need to check Heritage out. And we've been blessed to have them here. Um, they've got a son who's in the mission field and one of those kind of places you can't really talk about so much. So pray for him. It's just, just incredible frontline ministry. And they are currently leading a huddle group that is focused on single people in our church. So that w they just discovered that there was a need 
uh, people who feel like when they went to huddle groups, it was all about families and marriages. And so there was this whole demographic that just sort of felt left out of that. So um, if that's you, you're going to want to grab these guys after service and get a hold of them. It's just a great thing that they're doing there. Who do we got next? Ah, here we got Mike. So Mike Robinson is a guy who I've become friends with over the year, but a lot of you guys know he's, he's been making a big impact in the Valley for a really long time. Uh, Mike is a fellow Western Seminary grad, so uh, he's got that going for him. Um, but beyond that, uh, Mike is also, Mike and Cindy is his wife's name. Mike, first of all, is the, uh, they are the owners, presidents, whatever you want to call it, of Diode Laser Concepts. That means you're David's boss, right? So we got accountability going both ways here, um, as well as several other people actually here in the church. Man, he's like converting that church to heritage, it just seemed like. But, um, um, but not only that, he's the president of Pacific Bible College here in the Valley. So if you're aware of the work that they do, and be praying for them, they're actually in the process of becoming a full-on accredited master's level Bible seminary, if you will, right here in our own valley, which would be amazing to have down here. So um, it's a blessing to have those guys part of it. Walter and Janelle. Walter and Janelle are good friends of mine. Walter is our first um, elder in training. Um, Walter might be the most faithful servant we have here at Heritage. He's the kind of guy, you ask him to do anything, he'll be doing it before you finish asking him to do it. Just a great heart for the Lord, and it's just been a blessing to get to know them and see how the Lord's growing them, giving children and, and, and growing them. It's just incredible. He works for Share Faith, which is a, a, a Christian-focused uh, website, which, like, uh, everything, they, they do our website, they do church graphics, they do all sorts of things like that for churches in the valley, and, and a lot of their staff actually now goes to Heritage. I just had lunch with, uh, with Walter's boss, actually, the other day, which, by the way, we should talk about a few things, but... Um, um, it's just a blessing to have Walter and Janelle um, on our team. And, and Walter has just got such a heart for serving the Lord um, and just uh, not a ton of experience in like elding and that sort of leadership. But we, we as a board see the calling on his life and others have seen that too. And so rather than just going, all right, well, we'll let you know, we want to grab a guy like this and say, come with us, let's go and let's, and, and let's just grow in the Lord together. And then finally, David and Jenna Enright, good friends of mine for a long time. We've known them forever. Um, they were part of Lauren Anderson, remember him preaching here a couple of weeks ago. They were part of that church in Bend, um, part of the Valley long before that though. And now they're back here and serving in the kids wing. David's on the security team. We do have one, so behave. Um, and it's just a blessing to have them a part of that too. So these are the people, the first launch, if you will, uh, the shepherding elders that, that our board has vetted, that the Lord's put on our heart. And that we're now basically presenting to you as men who are covenanting with you. They are covenanting with you to say, this is what I covenant to do for the people of Heritage Christian Fellowship, that list that we just went through, to serve you, to love you, to pray for you, to care for you. And so should the Lord continue to move them along in this process, then we would be launching them officially um, the first Sunday in March, and we'll start that, that new leadership structure will kick off then. What's in the future before we close in prayer? Um, a lot of things. We want to get to work on a deacon board for this, that does the same thing. I want to see other men and young men as well involved in either the, the, the shepherding elder team as a whole or in this idea of like in training, raising up more and more young men here at the church moving forward. We want to get deacons going. And then we've also talked a little bit about how the women's ministry is doing some of these things and putting those things in place now. If you read on in Titus, you see that he's talking about older women, whether it be in the faith or not, raising up younger women in the same kind of way. So this is what we feel the Lord has been doing in our church, and we're really excited to do this. And so our, we wanna, what we want to do right now is I'm going to have all you guys stand, 
We're going to close the service out by just praying for these men and for this process and praying for the leadership of our church. And if I do this within two minutes, I will be shorter than last week still. Not short enough, says the Seahawks fan. So let's pray. God, I pray your blessing, Lord, on our church. I just, I, I'm so thankful for the way that you mold, shape, lead, and direct churches. I'm thankful, Lord, that, that you, you give us a blueprint on how to lead. You give us the benefit of, uh, or the blessing of being able to serve alongside other men and women and building community. And I thank you, Lord, for the calling you put on some men's lives to, to serve you by serving others. Lord, it is a gift that we have men and women like this who, who are called by you to just care for us. It's a gift. So we start out by just first and foremost thanking you and praising you for that. I pray, God, you would continue to raise even more people up from this congregation. Whether it's a formal office or not, men and women here that are dedicated to the care and leadership of other people in your church, that the church might continue to just grow. And I don't just mean numbers, Lord. Make us more like you. Help us to understand you better, to spread your gospel better, all of these things. And so, Lord, right now, we do believe that you have led this church and the leadership of this church to put these men forth as elder candidates. And so I pray, God, that you would just be a part of this process the rest of the ways you have so far, that you would show clearly who is to be leading your church, that you would continue to grow and bless these men, that they would continue to grow in godly character and in their calling. And I pray, God, that the end result of all these things wouldn't just be mindless organization, but, but Father, I pray that the people of your church would do well. I pray that, that people would be ministered to, loved, cared for, nurtured, poured into, valued, protected, disciplined if necessary, all of these things, God. I pray that Heritage would just become more and more and more the kind of church that is a clear picture of who you are in the community around us, Jesus. Not just healthy, but healthy, Lord. And so, Lord, will you be with these as they move forward, be with others as they pray through these things, and I pray you would put it upon our hearts as, as we even receive these names as we're leaving this place, Lord. You would put it upon our hearts to pray for the leadership of Heritage that we might continue to grow in grace and be faithful to our calling. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Hey, listen, next week is, if not, I kind of gave a little bit of what we're going to be talking about away, but next week is the idea that a healthy church has healthy members. And so we talked today about what the, the, the leaders of Heritage covenant to do for the body. I need you here next week because we're going to talk about the role of the church body in building a healthy church. It's really important. Do not miss next week. Grab a sheet on the way out. I love you guys. Go Broncos.